Well, what a gem that hymn is. I did not know that existed. <laughs> My work is done here. <laughs> um, so uh, our scripture text today is Luke 17, 11 through 19, the healing of the 10 lepers. And before we read, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for your healing, your, your daily grace provision in our lives and um, your grace and love and compassion um, that you offer and pour out um, throughout the whole world and and in the lives of these ten and in our lives and pray that we would hear your words that your spirit would um, would work what you desire in us um, not just blessings in this life but a change of heart that you would put a fervent faith and zeal and love and joy in our heart, um, that our hearts would be transformed on the inside as these men's bodies were on the outside. We pray this for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem... He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And in this first verse here right away, I think about the, the paths that we take in life. And, and often we don't, we don't pick the most direct route for some things, uh, sometimes by accident, uh, sometimes just because we want the scenic route. I was reminded of, of one time, uh, when I was visiting Glacier National Park with some family years ago, um, and, and we decided to go get dinner at the Eastern Lodge, you know, just 45 minutes away. Well, well, 45 minutes became 90 minutes, and 90 minutes became three hours, <laughs> and, and so finally, after like, it was like after 9 p.m., we finally got there and had our dinner, but afterwards, we wanted to return home, but we can't. Go, the park's closed. We can't go through the park anymore. We had to go s around the park, all the way south and all the way west, to get all the way back to Kalispell, which was like three hours away at this point. Well, in the middle of this drive, we come across on a country highway. We come across a truck who was stalled. His engine had overheated, and so we stop. We, we see if we can help him out, and we we go back <laughs> to a lodge, different lodge, and, and get a, like a gallon of water and bring it over to him so he can get his engine cooled and, and get going again. And so this, this unplanned scenic detour 
brought us to a person in need, someone we would never have met if we had gone on, on the, our direct planned route. And we see in the Gospels, Jesus regularly took scenic detours. And in Luke 17, Jesus chose a route that, that went right along the border between Galilee and Samaria. And he's headed to Jerusalem. But the border route between these two, that is not the common or direct route to Jerusalem. So Jesus, he, he deliberately chose the, this roundabout way because he was choosing the path that took him through all the out-of-the-way places that would take him to all the outcasts who would never have had a chance to, to find him otherwise. And we, we see just from that choice of route there, Jesus' mercy is for all. He, he, wants, he wants to catch the most all he can. We think about our attitude. Our attitude usually is like, hey, max efficiency, maximum effect, right? Well, okay, Jerusalem, that's got the most people all at one stop, so let's get there as fast as we can. Maximum effect, right? But Jesus is like, no, he, he's going, he wants to catch the outcast, the one who would never find him otherwise. His mercy is for all. And the Gospels, they, they show us this compassion of Jesus, but they also show us his purpose. Because Jesus' miracles are also signs. That, that's what the Gospels regularly call them, refer to them as signs. They're signs that inform us what type of Savior he is. And so the, these real people and real miracles become living symbols for us. Because if Jesus' ultimate purpose was physical healing, well, he could have just snapped his fingers, done that in an instant, and moved on. But instead, he gives these lepers a word. And it's a word that is for their physical healing, but it's also a word that's meant to point them to their deeper spiritual need. Because Jesus came to rescue from sin and death. Jesus came to rescue from sin and death and death. That is his ultimate purpose in coming as Savior. And so now we look at these 10 lepers, and they're standing at a distance, and that distance, that was appropriate, that was in accordance with the Old Testament law. If we look real quickly at Leviticus 13, starting in verse 45, it says, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And many good Bible scholars have pointed out that the treatment of lepers was meant to be a symbol of death for others to see. They were a parable of death for us. And then death is a consequence of sin. It was Adam's sin that brought death into the world. But the Lord is not the God of sin and death. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. He has nothing to do with sin and death. He is separate from sin and death. And to show this separation, the law of Moses declare not just lepers unclean, they declared 
temporarily unclean anyone who handled a grave or a corpse or dead men's bones. They were declared unclean. Now, the people handling death, <laughs> they could be ritually cleansed by undergoing, they could be cleansed by going through a ritual cleansing with ritual water. And the leper was treated the same way. He was declared unclean, separate from God. And the torn clothes, the loose hair, the covered lips, all of this, all of, each of these are symbols of death. But if he was healed, he could be declared clean and he could be restored through a ritual, through a ritual cleansing with ritual water. And the ritual water for lepers and the ritual water for those who handled the dead was exactly the same. It involved cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop. And those are only used for these two people. It's unique to them, but it's, and it's identical between the groups. So the, the treatment of lepers parallels the treatment of those who handle the dead in every way in the Mosaic law. So they are, where, where it's meant to be clearly seen, these men are treated as if they're already dead. They are dead men walking. Now Jesus warned against thinking that lepers were worse sinners than anyone else. And he, he establishes a, a similar principle in Luke 13 when the people are, are saying, hey, look, th th this tragedy happened to these Galileans. A building fell over and collapsed on them. It must have been punishment because they must have secretly been worse sinners than everyone else because this tragedy happened to them. And Jesus teaches in Luke 13, 2 and 3, he says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And leprosy was seen the same way because no one understood how it happened to anyone. It just, it just struck people. It just, it just happened. And so we, Jesus is warning. He's using the same principle here. Don't think that a leper is being punished because his sins are worse than anyone else's. So the treatment of lepers was not a special punishment. It was a parable. The treatment of lepers was meant to teach. It was meant to say, hey, look at the leper. He, he wears death on the outside, but death is the consequence of sin for everyone. So repent of your own sins or you will likewise perish. And so our response to another person's suffering should never be condemnation. It should be compassion. Knowing that we're, we're content, condemned for our sin in the same way. We're just not showing it on the outside. And, and now many afflictions in our life, they, they foreshadow death. Um, some days I stumble on a toy and I, and I wibble and I wobble and I try to catch myself. And I'm thinking in my head, this is it. This is how I'm going to die. <laughs> Maybe not today, but one of these days, that's what that's what it's going to be. That's how it's, that's how it's going to be written, how Sam went out. He stumbled on a toy. Um, but in all seriousness, our afflictions do remind us of our mortality. And, and young or old, you know, when you have that really bad flu bug for several days, those aches and pains, I mean, they can make you wonder, 
is this what death feels like? Is this how I'm going to die? Uh, but other things are, are very real and present with us. COVID-19 carries the real threat of death for many people. And we think of, of cancer and other afflictions. And those can, can feel like a terrifying death sentence. And the lepers, they lived with that death sentence every day. Every day knowing that leprosy was going to be what killed them. And so those lepers, they are symbols of death for us. And they're, they're symbols for all the ways that we feel death approaching. But they're also symbols of sin. Because they wore the consequences of sin on their bodies. They, are, they were the face of death. <laughs> the face of the consequences of sin. Now in in literature, in our storytelling, we, we often use, we like to have our villains look sinister, right? We want sinister-looking villain, villains, you know. So Darth Vader and Darth Maul, they, they wear their evil on the outside. They're, they're obviously evil. You know, one look, that is the villain. But we all know that that's not true <laughs> in reality. That's rarely true in, in, the, in the world. And, we, and this is why stories like, Beauty and the Beast, those hit closer to home because the prince, he was a beast in his heart on the inside already. The curse just made him, just made that obvious on the outside. The curse made the inside of his heart show in his outward appearance. But we also know sometimes our sin shows on the outside too. I mean, when, when, when a person is filled with rage, or with bitterness, that can, can transform your face. That can transform your whole appearance. And if you live with that for years, I mean, that can be a, can be a semi-permanent change there. We, we wear our, our life experiences and our emotions. You know, we talk about a person who wears their emotions on their sleeve. You know, we, some, they, it, our, the state of our hearts often is visibly apparent to us. Now, this doesn't mean that every disease, every affliction is, is caused by a particular sin or another. But we can't deny that, that anger and rage and bitterness and anxiety and stress affect our health. We know they do because we're an integrated whole. And some ailments we bring on ourselves, some just happen to us, um, and all of them are tragic. And all of them are, are consequences of sin in general, of, of the fall into sin. And so the lepers, were, they were symbols of how sin separates us from God because um, they weren't separated for, for health quarantines like we think of, of health quarantines because no one understood how it was passed and it, it just happened to them. Um, and, and you actually see biblical examples of like, you think of Naaman, you know, the, the, uh, the Syrian general. I mean, here, clearly, he was around people all the time. He's a leper, and yet he's the general of the armies. I mean, he, he can't be that quarantined. <laughs> um, so it was less about the health quarantine and more about the spiritual symbol. And these lepers, to be restored before God, they had to be cured, and then they had to be examined by a priest. And the priest, he would, ver he would examine them. He would verify that they were healed, and he would declare them clean before God. 
And now we come here. Jesus has commanded these ten lepers to go show themselves to the priests before the healing has happened. Now, he had healed leprosy before. Everyone, everyone knew this. So in his command, there's an unspoken promise that if they go, they will be healed. Jesus connected their physical healing with their spiritual restoration. And by doing it this way, the miracle becomes a sign of Jesus' true mission, a sign to them and a sign to us. Because Jesus came to deal with the source of all suffering, our sin. If he had just dealt with their leprosy, Sure, they would have been healed that day and for maybe years, decades afterward, but eventually they would have had something else or eventually old age would have caught up with them. They would, still would have died. Leprosy, healing the leprosy was not the final solution. And this is made clear when Jesus mourns that the nine did not return to praise God. He wanted more for them than just the physical healing. Yes, he absolutely wanted the healing of leprosy. Yeah, that was compassion and mercy too, but he wanted even more. He came to rescue from sin and death. But they were so caught up in, in the healing that they could not see the healer. They couldn't see the hand of God at work. But one did have eyes for the healer. And through his example, we learn that Jesus' word is for all who will believe. Jesus' word is for all who will believe. As we said before, Jesus chose the scenic route so he could reach the outcast, the unreachable. And his mercy is for all. And the ten lepers had heard of this mercy, so they cried out loudly, Rabbi, have mercy. And Jesus says, go, show yourselves to the priests. And in this word, we see that Jesus is the Savior that he saves through his word, and that his word is for all who will believe it. Jesus gave them the promise in this way so that their faith in him would grow. He gave them a command, and, and we're not told, but apparently he just kept walking and just kept going into the village. Go to the priest, bye. You know, just kept on moving on his mission going through. And so the, the, the lepers are left with a question. Does Jesus' word have the power to heal? And this could only be discovered by an act of faith. They had to literally step out in faith, and they had to start walking, <laughs> trusting in his word. And God's word feeds our faith. It's a word that that needs to be acted upon, but that also feeds our faith so that we can act on it. It's like eating. It's like eating food. Just as, you know, to eat, you have to eat the food to get the nourishment of that food. And God's word has to be acted on in faith to grow our faith. But it's, it's a word that also grows our faith so that we can act on it. But to, to never act on God's word would be like hoping to be nourished by the pictures of the food in the menu and just staring at them. I'm, I'm hoping looking at this food will nourish me. Looking at God's word, I'm, I know this will nourish me without actually believing in it or 
putting your faith in it or trusting it or acting on it. And these ten men acted in faith that Jesus' word was for them. Each one believed the word and each one received what it promised. But it seems clear, it's in, it, we're not told, but it's, it's implied here that, that if, they, if any of them had not acted on that word, they would not have been healed. Jesus offered mercy for every one of them, but only those who believed his word of mercy received it. And it's especially in the Samaritan that we see that God's word, his mercy, is for all who will believe. God's word of promise caused the faith in his heart to grow. Something was planted in his heart that apparently was not planted in the hearts of the nine. The Samaritan, he was filled with irrepressible praise for God. He had to let it out. He had to give thanks. And there are two distinct ways he shows this. The first is he turned back and the whole way walking back, he was praising God loudly, walking around, hallelujah, praise the Lord, I'm healed. Just, you know, the whole way, it's, you know, that, that's what seems to be inferred there is that, that the whole way back, he, his whole return, he was shouting praises to God loudly. But then when he arrived, he, he bowed at Jesus' feet. He kneeled and thanked him. He knew that he could not thank God without also thanking Jesus. God's power for healing had come to him through Jesus, and it was Jesus he must thank. And this was the natural spiritual conclusion. And, and consider the power of that word that healed them. Because Jesus' healing word, his command, it was, it was conditional upon their response, not on time and not on distance. Jesus didn't have to be physically present to heal them. And yet it was clear that it was his word that did heal them. And who could give a word so powerful that, that, that all the power of it is there waiting to be received, but it is it is received and accepted upon faith. Apart from distance and time, Jesus didn't have to be there. I mean, what a powerful word. Only God could put such power into a word, into a command. And somehow, the, the nine Jewish lepers did not recognize this. And it, this is a little speculation here, but perhaps being a Samaritan made this clear for the one because Samaritans and Jews disagreed strongly about God and they despised each other. Their, 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 their racism against each other was, is well documented. <laughs> they despised each other. And it was only because of their shared misery that these ten lepers ended up together. And this Samaritan realized that he had just been saved by a Jewish rabbi and the power of God. And he recognized in this, he recognized both the power of God and his own unworthiness to receive that healing. Now, and perhaps, perhaps the nine Jews thought it was only right that a Jewish rabbi would heal Jewish lepers. Right? They, perhaps they thought that was just due. And so their faith 
never grew. One way or another, their, their faith did not grow into praise for God and recognition of the Messiah. But the Samaritan, he experienced personally that God's mercy is for all, and it's received through Jesus' word for you. And the importance of faith is shown both by Jesus' rebuke of the nine and his affirmation of the Samaritan. Jesus rebuked the nine for their lack of praise for God. Except they were not there to hear this rebuke. They weren't present there, which means that Jesus is, is sharing that rebuke he intended for his audience and his disciples to hear that and to learn from it. And therefore, it's written down for us to hear and learn from as well. Because it, what a tragedy that the Jews, these nine Jewish lepers, they had the promises of God from Moses and the prophets. And yet when God healed them, they did not praise him. And when God sent the Savior to them, they did not recognize him. God sent Jesus to rescue them from sin and death, to make dead hearts clean and alive, just as he had made leprous bodies clean and alive. And by his word, Jesus would plant faith in the hearts of his disciples so they would believe and receive his salvation. And this word was not just for the Jews, but for all people. God's word is for any who will believe it. And God's word is still for any who will believe it today. Like the lepers, we experience suffering and affliction in the body. We feel death's approach. Like the lepers, we feel the shame of sin. And like the lepers, we experience the bitter sting of separation and anxiety and, and the sting of alienation. And God promises you salvation in Christ Jesus through his death and resurrection. Now we all know we, we carry about, we're, we carry death about us in our bodies. And every day we, we feel in some way, some days more, some days less, but we, we feel sickness and affliction. And in his death on the cross, Jesus became death for us. And, and Jesus, the, the lepers were symbols of death, but Jesus fully died. On the, when he died on the cross, his death was applied to all of us. He became death. And he was put in a grave. And in the, in the Jewish custom, this separation of life and death is also shown in their funeral practices, that burying in that tomb and covering with the stone, that is to separate the dead away from the living and showing just the, the total oppositeness of life and death. And Jesus died. He, he fully experienced death. And so in his death on the cross, he became death with us and for us. But in his resurrection, he conquered death. He came out of that grave. And he shares his resurrection life with all who will believe in him. 
Romans 8, 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And this doesn't mean that we won't experience disease or affliction anymore. It means that death is no longer the final outcome. Death does not win the victory. So even as our bodies suffer, God's eternal life is already in believers by His Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And so we are, and, and say, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians that talks about even though our outer bodies are wasting our way, our inner person is being renewed more and more day by day by His Spirit. But we also have the promise of eternal life after the resurrection. We shall know the fullness of that eternal life that's already in us by His Holy Spirit. It shall be fully realized. We also, life without corruption, life without affliction, without suffering, bodies that do not break down, um, that do not stumble, that do not bruise, that, that are immortal as Christ's resurrection, re resurrected self is immortal. And that is what is promised to us. That is what's coming to us. That is what is already ours in Jesus Christ. And so in the middle of our everyday struggles with disease and affliction and death, you have life in Jesus Christ. And against sin and shame, you have Jesus' words that your sins are forgiven. Colossians 2, verses 12 through 14 says, And you <clears throat> who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus took the punishment for our sins. In fact, 2 Corinthians says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So for his sake, all who believe in him are forgiven. Their guilt and shame are gone. Jesus also cures the condition of sin in your heart. The righteousness of Christ now lives in your heart. His Holy Spirit lives in you. And his word of forgiveness is there for you every day. So every time you experience sin and shame, every time you stumble in temptation again, you can confess that, turn away from your sin, and know that you are forgiven and made clean for Jesus' sake. And for all your struggles with rejection and with alienation, Christ has a word of grace for you as well. Ephesians 2, verses 12 and 13 and 19. 
Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now we we experience rejection in many ways, and although I, I hope this is rare for you, I know sometimes you will be left out or even cast out, and sometimes you might even experience this in the church. But when this happens, remember that in Christ, you are a child of God. You belong to his household. You are a citizen of heaven. You are part of his church, his assembly, the people of God. You belong to him and he belongs to you. And no matter how any other person treats you, that is always true. God is with you and you belong to him. You always belong with him. Because through his death and resurrection, Jesus overcame the separation between life and death so that he can bring you to God. So nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus. And that is his word to you. It is a word made certain by his death and resurrection. And it's a word given to you. A word waiting to be believed and received just as the word to the lepers was. And just as the word to the lepers, it is powerful and effective, regardless of time or space. Those spoken 2,000 years ago, God's promises to you are everlasting and certain and true. And I want to close with this verse from Romans 10, 9 through 13. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. And praise the Lord for his mercy and grace.